Oh, that's Avdi's voice. That sounds so amazing, isn't it? <laughs> um, I'm, that's going to have to go in and overheard. <laughs> it, it does. It does lend itself to a good sort of like sensual intro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was actually, Dude, we should do the uh, we should do the Ruby Shoe Diaries. The Ruby Shoe. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by RailsThemes.com. Have a website only a mother could love? Then you need a theme. Go to RailsThemes.com and sign up for early access, and when they release, you'll be able to check out and use their themes on your Rails app. This podcast is sponsored by New Relic. To track and optimize your application's performance, go to RubyRogues.com slash New Relic. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Ruby Rogues podcast. This is episode 57, uh, and with us today, we have Josh Susser. Hello. James just told me to mute it, so <laughs> hey, good morning from San Francisco. You're supposed to unmute when you talk, Josh. I know. I, I know. I always get that wrong. I don't know how many instructions I <laughs> to have. Mute, to mute. Unmute first, then talk. <laughs> And we have... Moving right along. We have Avdi Grimm. Hi, uh, this is Avdi. And James, please tell Josh that I'm not speaking to him because he insulted my hair. <laughs> Josh, Avdi's not speaking to you. Um, and we have David Brady. Hey, everybody. I'm back from vacation. Except that I carefully timed my vacations to be between episodes, and so I'm just still here. And to be clear, nobody has yet insulted David Brady's hair this morning. I have had my hair pattern insulted several, several times. <laughs> I'm James Edward Gray II. I'm standing in as host today because we're minus our usual leader, Chuck. Uh, but we have two guests today. We have Evan Phoenix, who's been on the show before. Hi, Evan. Hi, everybody from sunny Los Angeles. And we have Chad Fowler, who admits he doesn't listen to the show. Hi, Chad. <laughs> Hello. But to be fair, I don't listen to any podcast. And uh, I'm in Washington, D.C., where it is tropical and hideous. I'm in Oklahoma where it's hailing and taking out everybody's power and stuff like that. So we'll see how well this recording goes today. Now, Chad, you don't listen to podcasts. Now, in the pre-call, you said that's because you're Amish? Uh, (laughs) Kind of, yeah. I mean, essentially, that's what I meant. But um, the way I said it was that I am unable to actually uh, comprehend things when they're spoken to me in large volumes. Instead, Chad listens to butter churn casts. Yes! <laughs> it's like sound really effect funny. CDs. <laughs> yeah, so, so, Chad, speaking of gorillas, you should try learning sign language. I find that um, it engages a different part of your brain. But, but sign language uh, podcasts might be a bit difficult. Oh, wow. Per- perhaps so. Uh, I'm actually thinking about learning sign language because we now live in a building next to Gallaudet University in D.C., which is a deaf university. Uh, yeah, so we, yeah, I know it well. Okay. So yeah. we see people speaking in sign language like at the pool from our window every day. We figured we could practice by eavesdropping. Yeah, so you want to overhear. No, 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 actually you can't practice by eavesdropping because deaf people sign at such a rate that hearing people can never really learn to keep up. Huh. So I'm destined to fail. Thank you. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Well, 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 at least if you go that route, take some classes. It actually works way very to, well. Way to shatter that dream for you. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, so, you know, you I, have I, no chance of doing it. You know, I studied sign language, and I, I see deaf people signing, and I, there's no way I can eavesdrop on them. They're just too good. All right. So I understand what you're saying is if Josh can't do it, nobody can. That's yeah, basically, nobody is as good as me. <laughs> <laughs> so we have Evan and Chad on the show today because we are going to talk about the Evil League of Evil. I mean, Ruby Central, uh, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, Ruby Central is the um, instrumentality of the Ruby Evil Empire imposed upon the American Ruby community. Well so said. We, yeah. <laughs> here, here. How about Chad, since you, you probably know better than the rest of us, can you tell us how Ruby Central got started? I can, yes. Uh, I can tell you at great length, so interrupt me when I've spoken too much. Um, 2001, Guy Hurst was organizing RubyConf 2001, which was the first one. Uh, suddenly, after getting most of the organization, like the logistics done, he dropped out for various personal reasons. Dave Thomas of Pragmatic Bookshelf, Pragprog, Pickaxe, etc., uh, contacted me and David Black because we were one of 12 people that hung out in the Ruby Lang channel on IRC and said, we have to make this happen. So we all co-organized the first conference and realized that we kind of put ourselves at financial risk. 
uh, doing that. So the next year we incorporated Ruby Central with the three of us as a nonprofit um, based out of and still based out of amazingly Kentucky because I happen to live there at the time. Um, we have then run RubyConf, RailsConf, RailsConf Europe, uh, regional conference grants. We started with like HackFest grants way back in 2002, I think, uh, and various other community funding kind of things through Ruby Central since. So, uh, and then the members have changed over time. Like, I think Dave only lasted a year or so, and then Rich came on. And, and True, yeah. So Rich Kilmer joined up in 2004, kind of just by coincidence, because he was helping organize RubyConf 2004, which was right by his house in Northern Virginia. Uh Dave dropped out around that time, and uh, I don't know when it was, but I guess a couple of years ago, I got Ben Schofield to co-chair RailsConf with me, um, all working toward my master plan of dropping out, which I started to do in 2005. And now Evan Phoenix is also on board, and I'm actually emeritus, I guess is how you'd say it now. Gotcha. Okay, so uh, Ruby Central, we know, takes care of the uh, conferences and stuff like that. You said it does grants. Is it is it mainly just the conferences these days? Uh, it mainly is these days. Um, I guess Evan might want to comment sure. a little on uh, where that might go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, hey, hey, before we start talking about the future, I want to I want to totally just take the opportunity to cut off Evan. But, but the, <laughs> I, I want to take the opportunity to cut you off, John. <laughs> And I want to ask you guys a question. Is Ruby Central a really weird name to you? No. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. It doesn't strike me as weird, but maybe that's because I've been in this community for a very long time. It's not as as weird as, say, Ruby Didgeridoo. Actually, I want to ask a question. Why did we not start the first conference why was it not rubicon because that, that that's an excellent question that is weird to me because it's a word and it could be really great as just rubicon i agree yeah well there are actually two parts to that question why not have it be rubicon the word and why not have it be rubicon yes anyway mm-hmm. uh it's all Gehurst's fault and, Sweet. Yeah. and i guess we got so frustrated like it was already called that and then people kept calling it rubicon and we kept correcting them that it then became this weird defense mechanism thing and we called rails comp that too it really uh-huh. kind of is uncomfortable to say isn't it comp yeah a little bit that's yeah. that's sad because the t-shirts could just say i crossed i crossed nice <laughs> It's almost as bad as if you spell regex with a P on the end of it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or or if you pronounce it with the P on it. Right. That's just not right. (laughs) Well, well, I did did have a question. Oh. Oh, sorry, Josh. <laughs> about, about about the uh, the role of Ruby Central uh, in the in the Ruby developer community, and you know conferences and grants and and those things, uh, uh, we we know about those now. But uh, what ha- what has Ruby Central had to do with like the infrastructure of the Ruby language and things like Ruby Gems and and Ruby Forge? Oh yeah, that's a very good question, and. Uh... We certainly would have would have left that out had you not mentioned it. So, uh, 2003, we started Ruby Forge, and by we, I mean actually Rich and Tom Copeland started Ruby Forge. So, um, so, so, so for everyone who grew up in the era of GitHub, can you talk about Ruby Forge and what it is or was? Yes, or? It, it was uh, an implementation of GForge, which is a I think a PHP fork of the SourceForge code, uh, which uh, there ended up being a whole bunch of them that sprung up all over the place. So Tom Copeland set it up, and I guess for some of the InfoEther clients where he was working at the time, and he and Rich said, hey, we should have this for the Ruby community because right now there's no repository of stuff. There's no shared source control. So it was all the kind of stuff that you can do with GitHub now, but not really as good. Um, Hang on. Can I interrupt there just a little? It's not entirely true there wasn't uh, – well, there, there was a listing, right? There was the RAA, right? Which yes. Was, yeah. So right. I'm not suggesting that there wasn't a listing, but that's right. all RAA was right. is metadata that pointed to places. Right. And I, okay. I, I'll blow your mind and tell you that our RAA is still updated. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and actually you'll find things in there you can't find elsewhere. Like It's still an interesting place to go. Yeah. Um, another piece of trivia, the last session at RubyConf 2001, 
uh, Brian Merrick and Andy Hunt led a session, which was this like group brainstorming of, that we called RAA.suck. And the idea was uh, S-U-C-C, suck, the successor for RAA, what should it be? And we had all these plans and we, and you know, nobody actually did anything with it, of course. Um, and RAA is still RAA. So, so Ruby Forge, anyway, Ruby Forge was a source code repository and accounts and mailing lists and the kind of stuff that you need to Trackers. run. Yeah, exactly. All that kind of thing. And we ended up also, uh, right after that, we built Ruby Gems. And when I say we, I mean, you know, uh, a few of us together built the initial implementation of Ruby Gems. And for lack of a better repository, since Rich and I were working on it, we we put the initial Ruby Ruby Gems repository on RubyForge, so it was gems.rubyforge.org, uh, and you could actually release gems by uploading gem files into uh, the GForge instance, and then they would, through a kind of painful semi-manual manual process, uh, get deployed out into the gem index and then mirrored all over the place. So we did all that, uh, and then to, to finish answering Josh's question, when rubygems.org came along, uh, which was called GemCutter and developed by Nick Caranto, it was a beautiful replacement for the way we were doing the gem repository before. Uh, we ended up taking over paying for the hosting of that and at first managing the hosting of it. Uh, and I think Evan is now very heavily involved in that, so you can probably talk about where that is now. Yeah, you want me to talk about that? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. So uh, yeah, we took it over from Nick. Um, it was first. It was. It sort of just lived on Heroku, and it was really um, more just like a sort of search engine. Uh, and then uh, it, we moved it over, and we put it on some dedicated hardware, and uh, gave it more teeth, if you will. Um, and then really just migrated everything over to it. Um, and now. Uh, so the kind of, and this is sort of just a good segue, if you will. The way that I kind of got involved with Ruby Central um, was that uh, Ruby Gems was having issues. The like RubyGems.org was having issues, so it would crash, it would do weird things, or whatever would happen. And I, I'm not one to sort of sit around and hope that someone else fixes a problem. So I just was like, hey, what's going on? How can I help? Let's fix this thing. Let's make it make it better and whatever. And this is probably like, a, uh, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago. Does that sound right, Chad? I have no concept of time. Okay. So it was for Chad, it was a millennium ago Feels um, like. that I started. Um, and so I really just... Um, kind of helped out with you know with t helping out Tom Copeland, helping out Nick uh, with just sort of figuring it out, and then got you know contacted Chad and Rich and those guys and said like, look, I really want to help. How can I? How can we make Ruby RubyGems.org better? We need to add some new infrastructure. We need to add these various things, and then it kind of snowballed from there into like, hey, you you actually care about this thing? Why don't you come on and actually help out in terms of Ruby Central? Um, so in, in that, so that's kind of how I got involved with Ruby Central. The RubyGems.org now uh, is an infrastructure that I built that um, isolates the um, – now what it does is it isolates the – like sort of what we consider the core RubyGems functionality from the actual Rails app. Um, so previously it was all sort of incorporated into one and now we have things like multiple front ends and mirrors and the, you know all that kind of good stuff so that – that when the Rails app needs to be upgraded or whatever, we don't RubyGems.org as a community service doesn't doesn't go down. The core functionality remains up. That kind of thing. So. So this is a parable about if you say how can we fix this, you may find yourself fixing it and in charge. Of it. Yes, I don't think you should never go in to say how how can I help fix this and not expect that you will end up being the the person who is in charge of that thing. And that's I, like I, a that's like a theme for the show lately, right? PDI as a career choice. <laughs> well, I yeah, mean, yeah, I, yeah. Andre was talking about that and Bundler. Yeah, he went and asked about Bundler, and they were like, "Here, you take over." So. Well, I mean, I, just, I'm very used to this. My entire career is based on this this singular thing because uh, back in 2004, um, I was a sysadmin, and uh, I really wanted to be a programmer, but uh, they didn't. This company could they needed a they needed really an IT guy. They needed someone to like make sure that. The Exchange mail server kept running, and and all this other crap. And so I was like, "That's fine." It was like a, the same pay rate as my old job, but it was I didn't have to have wear a pager anymore. So I was like, "Yes, we'll do this." Um, 
And then uh, I started just sitting in on meetings, the dev meetings, and there random things would come up like, oh, we need to redo the architecture of the whole system and what Linux distribution should we use and how would it work and all this kind of stuff. And no one really chimed in. And I said like, hey, I can help out with that. I've got some free time if you guys want me to just sort of give it a, just sort of start off. And they're like, yeah, go ahead and give it a shot. And then, you know, fast forward five months later, I had to hire my sysadmin replacement because I was doing the entire back end for a piece of software. Um, all based off me just saying like, what? A, I could give it a shot, guys. That kind of thing. So I'm just, I can't believe you're not gun shy yet. You know, that's great. Well, uh, I am. I'm totally gun shy. Yeah, I've had my foot blown off a few times, but um, it's, uh, you know, I, I don't really care too much. Um, you know, I just kind of move on. That's awesome. So let me ask, um, Ruby Central takes care of, like, our conferences and stuff like we've talked about and helping with some key community infrastructure. How do other languages handle this? I mean, there's not, like, a Java Central, right, or a Python Central. How do they do that? Well, I mean, there is a Java. There's a bunch of different things for Java. I mean, Sun ha- or whoever, Snorkel had one. Um, yeah. They have, they have <laughs> like Java.net, which is really an incarnation of a number of things that have migrated over time. Um, and they, I mean, and now Maven is really their big deal, right? Everything is in Maven now. And I don't know who manages the main Maven repositories anymore. Um, uh, then, let's see, Python, ha- they have Pi Cheese Shop, I think it's called, I want to say, <laughs> which is just sort of a community-run uh, uh, thing. But it's sort of blessed by the main Python, like Guido has blessed it in certain ways, and so it sort of becomes the de facto way. But... People are always, in Python, there's a lot of reinventing of things. Like there's a thing called eggs, which is supposed to be a replacement, or not a replacement, sort of, sort of be like Ruby gems, but I don't know if they've taken off. And then the canonical one is, is always CPAN, which is, again, sort of community run as far as I know. Yeah, on their conferences and stuff, though, I'm, I'm kind of thinking they probably get more corporate support on that kind of stuff, you know. For CPAN? Uh, no, I, no, I meant conferences. conferences. Oh, yeah. yeah. It could be. I mean, you have, like, I think the Python Software Foundation and the Perl Software Foundation or whatever they're called, Apache one. Uh, Part of the reason we're not called Ruby Software Foundation is we didn't want to follow actually david black didn't want to make it sound like we were copying pearl but uh it, but, plus it know, sounds much it's much stuffier so yeah i kind of like that personally i like stuffy but uh fortunately david black was the the hip one and chose this weird name <laughs> ruby central that's cool so i have a question for you guys um we've we've talked to people in the past that have organized conferences and you guys have kind of organized the granddaddy's conferences um, for either Chad or for Evan, um, what was the moment that you realized that organ like what's this is going to sound such a, like such a lame question, but I mean like organizing conferences makes people go crazy. I mean it's an incredible amount of stress. We're finding out that I mean the logistics alone are enough to make you just want to die. So stop talking about me. I'm right here. I know, I know. And <laughs> but the the question I have for for Chad or, and or for Evan is what is the moment when you realize that it's all worth it? So let let me answer that because I have this bad habit of dreading almost everything like this that I do until the moment that it happens. Uh, so I go through it every year, or I shouldn't say that in pre- present tense anymore because I I will not be continuing to. But I have gone through it through it every year, usually twice a year. I get to the conference, I'm all stressed out. You know how it is, and you think just everything is going to fall apart. And for me, it is. We always do multi-day conferences. It's always after the first uh, evening is over. So we always have some sort of plenary session, keynote thing on the first evening. And after that, you know that the whole thing is just going to run itself and you start to feel the energy. Uh, And every conference I've ever co-organized, I think, has been fantastic. And and that doesn't mean that we haven't completely failed on basically every possible logistical thing you could fail on. Uh, but we really know a bunch of smart people and we have a great community and it's always after that first day goes by and you reflect on like what you heard and the things that people are already excited about and the buzz that it feels like, yes, I know why I'm here now. And you get swept up in the like creative energy surrounding the conference. 
That's awesome. Is that how you guys feel, those of you who have organized conferences? Uh, uh, organizing conferences for me was very painful. <laughs> but um, yes. when, I'm, when I'm speaking at conferences, um, I get to enjoy it after my talk is over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, I I think for for me when when I when I do Gogoruko, it's the morning, the first morning of the conference where I step on stage and I get to see, I get to look out at everyone sitting in the conference hall and just realize, okay, we we made it here. <laughs> Every, yeah, we yeah. got a show to put on. Yeah, I agree. I mean, at RailsConf this year, um, after like the big, my big thing was, you know, we had twelve hundred people to register effectively that morning. So say a thousand because people slept in or whatever. Um, and I think that I was super stressed about just getting through that that time. So like once the first session had started and it was sort of like, okay, now it's got momentum and now it's moving. Um, yeah, then I I felt I felt a lot better about it. Just yeah. because that there's not there, it was sort of out of my control. Like it was just it was gonna go whether or not I did anything else. If even if I decided to just go up to my room and take a nap for five hours, the thing would still have progressed. So yeah, but not as well. Perhaps, yeah. but but it still would have happened, and you know a lot of those. I guess you know when you're running a conference, you you get to see all of the flaws and all the things that you screw up, and so like people would come up to me at RailsConf and say like, "Oh, this has been great," or it felt like they would they would say about something specific, like I felt like this this worked out really well. And I'd be like, thanks, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, how did they think that? Because it was, you know, like I threw together some just piece of junk, whatever, just like real last minute thing for that one, whatever it was. And then no one really even noticed. They thought it was totally set up like that for months. Yeah. The other thing I've noticed is, uh, and maybe uh, I'm sure Josh will disagree, but primarily this is the Big Daddy conference thing. Uh it's at the conference that all the really nasty, bitter, venomous criticism usually ends. Yeah. Uh, so, like, the first time I remember it was, I guess, RubyConf 2005, which is, by the way, when I decided I was quitting Ruby Central. But I did the thing Evan does and said, oh, we should do a Rails conference. And then I ended up doing it for several years. But at that conference, like online, you know, everyone's happy to say negative things online and not to your face. Suddenly, everything I did uh, from that conference on was I always knew someone was going to call me a piece of crap because of it. And some and not exactly those words, but words that could be just as bad or worse. Uh, or, or, or a call for a public lynching. Yes. Yeah, it could be that too. <laughs> yeah. like, well, somehow, a call for a vote. Yeah, oh. A call for a vote. <laughs> <laughs> so it's at the conference that, that stops happening, but it's that really adds a lot to initially, you know, for the first couple of years of it, at least the the question you have in your mind of why am I doing this? Why am I putting all this effort into this thing? So the moment when you realize why you did it is very important when, you know, that's been the path leading up to it. So, so I have a question about the um, RubyConf and I guess RailsConf too. The, uh, but I guess primarily around RubyConf. The, so RubyConf has been around for like ten years now, is or is it eleven? Eleven. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, eleven. And um, and when it started, it was the RubyConf, and now there's so many regional RubyConfs that happen throughout the year that I don't know if anyone can keep count of it. There's there's almost one every week if you if you look at the calendar. <laughs> let, me, let me actually jump in there. You, uh, yeah. Ruby Central actually encouraged the formation of the regional Ruby conferences, correct? We did, yeah. Oh yeah. Fact, we uh, we started it with the Hackfest grant thing, where we were just going to give people money to like buy pizza or whatever they wanted, you know, rent a a small conference room and get Rubyists together and hack. Um, and I don't remember what year it was, but we ended up morphing that into a regional conference grant. Uh, that, that was like 2006 or seven, Probably, because we funded Mountain West, which was outside of Yuruko, I think the first uh, real regional conference. Mm -hmm. the, um, yeah, so, so and, and you guys have, have helped support the, like there's the regional conference organizers list. You guys participate in that to some extent. and. Uh, you know, we uh, yeah. So there's there's never been any sort of antagonistic relationship between Ruby Cent Central and the regionals. It's always been very collaborative and supportive. Uh, but but I'm wondering what the uh, now that there's this huge ecosystem of Ruby conferences that happen all over the planet. Uh, that how has that changed 
you guys, how you think about um, about RubyConf and its role in the community, and you know, has that changed how you approach the conference? What you intend to achieve? Uh, so, speaking for for myself as someone who's just dropped out, but probably I have more context than Evan does. Uh, I would say it actually never changed anything about the way I viewed the conference. Um, so I, I I helped start it and I helped continue it because. I wanted a place where I could go be with people who are smarter than me and make me better at least once a year. I lived in the tech wasteland of Louisville, Kentucky at the time, and I just needed somewhere to go learn and be inspired. Uh, and yes, the regional conferences also do that, but like for me, RubyConf is, uh, is still exactly as it was when we started it. It's just a lot bigger now. It actually has many of the same 34 people that went to the first one continue to come back. So I know they'll be there. But the, the personality of it hasn't really changed over time. So uh, I still get that feeling when I go. I still have the same kind of inspiring conversations. And I still leave uh, re-energized about being a software developer. So I'll, I'll chime in. I think that RubyConf, so we, you know, we've been, the regional conferences have existed for a while now, almost five years, probably. That seems, that seems pretty accurate. I think yeah. Mountain West was like five years, the first Mountain West was like five years ago. Um, so I think that had, um, I think RubyConf would have changed if the community would have changed. So Ruby, you know, we were always going to put on RubyConf the same way that we had, or we were going to do what we thought was best for that particular moment. You know, like, oh, RubyConf needs to be this big. We need these kind of facilities, and we should get these people to talk, or we should, you know, solicit whatever. We do the normal thing that you do for a conference. And um, it would have changed only if the feel for the conference would have changed. So um, having gone through the motions of putting it on every year, we, we still see that same sort of like people love going. There's a lot of energy. It's a lot. Of, there's a lot of silliness in, compared to a lot of other like big conferences of that size, um, which people love. And I think that um, the community keeps coming back to it and keeps saying that like this is what we want. And so it hasn't really changed because we're we for the most part give people exactly what they want. I mean, I love going to RubyConf. It's like prob probably one of my favorite times of the year. Just because I, I I get that chance to just you know be ridiculous for a few days with a bunch of people who I can make the most obscure references and everything works out fine. Nice. Uh, what what about the program? Do you do you feel like because there's regional conferences with their own programs showing speakers, et cetera, that 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 changes how you put the program together? What you want to showcase? Um, I, I guess you know I, we're. I'm just sort of starting to figure out what we're doing for this year um, and put a lot of the, the things together for it. And I think that it doesn't it doesn't change it a lot. I mean, we still do the so as opposed to say like RailsConf, which is a RailsConf is just more polished. Um, so you know we invite keynote speakers and we do all that kind of thing. Whereas in RubyConf we invite Nats. We just make sure Nats is there, and that alone adds a lot of cachet to it. And so. Uh, people will. I think I, from experience, I know that I always want to give a new talk at Rails at, at RubyConf, and not to say that people recycle talks a lot. But I feel like the at RubyConf, you get a lot of people who are like, "All right, this is my chance to like impress the the the, the big wigs or impress Matt's or." talk about something I've always wanted to work on. Like you see a lot of things at Ruby at RubyConf that are just like weird, crazy outlandish. Like and Chad, you'll have to maybe you remember his name. The guy who always talks about running his submarine on Ruby. You know? Oh, I don't remember his name, but I know you're talking about he yeah, spoke so, at RubyConf two thousand five in San Diego. Yeah. So yeah, so you know you get the, these really, really amazing talks that I think that people save those things, save those ideas, or it just sort of, they feel like they want to step up. You know, it's the big game. It's not, you know, whatever it is, it brings that out in the, the people who submit talk proposals. So we get, you know, certainly we get a lot of talk proposals from people who are like, you know, I know that you've given, I know this guy has given this same talk on test-driven development 30 times. I'd rather not have given it at RubyConf again. So, I mean, we have that control over the program, but I feel like people really put in their, put their best foot forward uh, when they, when they submit talks for it. Yeah, uh, another thing that I have done differently for RubyConf in the past is uh, Evan kind of said it, but like I will make sure people are in who have ideas that I think might not get out especially in the western world. 
So, for example, Shudo Maida spoke about uh, what was the name of this thing that he did? It was kind of like David Black's old behaviors thing. Uh, a, a take on selector namespaces. Someone hmm. must remember. RubyConf 2010 in New Orleans. Uh, trades? Is it trades? Or... Classbox? Classbox, Classbox. yes. So I thought this was really interesting, uh, potentially a really good step forward, and certainly something that would get a lot of feedback at RubyConf. Uh, and it's hard to spread from the Japanese Ruby core community. It's hard to get ideas to spread when they're still nascent without kind of forcing them, mostly because of the language barrier. Um, so we have actually, we worry less about like whether someone is going to be a good speaker in English, for example, and we worry more about getting the ideas out there. Uh, so we've had uh, specifically Japanese speakers that really aren't conversational in English, but they do a talk in English and they use text uh, and they have you know, text heavy slides. And sometimes they're actually the best talks at the conference. Um, so that's another kind of difference where if I were organizing a regional conference, I would probably uh, focus a little bit more on the presentation side of the speakers. So I guess, you know, maybe what you mean is RubyConf is allowed to take more risks. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, that's exactly what I'd say. Like RubyConf is also the place where you might have someone talk about an obscure programming language that no one uses yet. Just for fun, yeah. I, I, I remember chatting with, with David Black in the hallway at RubyConf uh, several years ago, back when it was, it was uh, making the transition from a single track to a multiple track conference and talking about how he, did, he was hoping that it wouldn't get very large and 300 people was a great size for a conference and single track was so much better. And now it's a much bigger conference, and it has multiple tracks and all that. And uh, yeah, so th those are very different kinds of conferences to attend. When you know a single track one versus a multiple track one, and bigger is different than smaller. Can can you talk about how you guys made that transition and what was behind it? And, you know, was it about anything besides just wanting to have like more people attend? Yeah. So it was it was the transition from 2006 to 2007. We sold out the Denver conference in three and a half hours, and it was 350 people. And a lot of people were understandably angry that they couldn't get in. So, you know, like conference organizers love to sell out their conference, and, and they love to be able to say, we sold it out this fast. But really, when there's a lot of demand and there are smart people who would benefit from being there and benefit other people from being there, it's frustrating when they can't get in. So... A lot of it was just, you know, allowing more people to attend. So we actually called an experiment, uh, called it an experiment. Um, we went to Charlotte in 2007 and we did like half single track, half multi-track, I think is the way we organized it. Yeah. Um, Evan was one of the plenary speakers. So, you know, we, we kind of, again, carefully chose which things would be in the plenary sessions. Uh, we had Rubenius, Iron Ruby, J Ruby, that sort of stuff in the plenary sessions, uh, and then the other sessions were were multi-track, and it still felt like RubyConf to us. So we yeah. went with. Yeah, I think you know to to sort of riff on this real briefly at RailsConf, um, Rich Hickey spoke, and um, I ended up talking with him um, about just sort of because he was talking about the different closure conferences and that you know how many people, and I was asking him a little bit like how many people go to them and are they one track or multi track and stuff, and you know he was saying that um, uh, closureconf, clo, clo, whatever, however we pronounce that, um, closure conj, yeah, closure closure conj is. Um, it's about 300 people, and it's one track, so it's a lot like the older RubyConfs, and they're sort of they're sort of having to go through this time now where they're trying to figure out: do we expand it? Do we make it more tracks and that kind of thing? And you know, there's something really great about having these about having a one-track conference because everybody, you know, the dinner at a one-track conference is always the best because everybody's been listening to the same talks, everybody's thinking about the same things. You have this, you have a, you have these really great discussions because everyone is on the same page about what went on. Um, but a one-track conference really limits your ability to have exposure to a lot of different things. Um, and so I, I, I think that that we've done a great job at, for, within RubyConf in really sort of splitting splitting it, you know. Um, I love the plenary sessions, um, and I love that, you know, it's sort of like, you know, like big... 
I have never been to one, but I hear that there are these big fancy business conferences where they have like breakout sessions, and that's a big deal. Which breakout sessions are you going to? What breakout sessions did you sign up for? And I kind of think of it like sort of like this: um, that RubyConf has these plenary sessions, plenary talks that we that are sort of sort of well cultivated that we know like okay, people are going to really love this talk. We'll, let's have let's have this one. Let's do this one as the plenary ones. Um, but then there's a lot of you can build a lot of momentum for a lot of sort of like what Cla- what Chad was saying about um, with Shugo's class box about having the ability to expose people to this idea that they wouldn't have exposure to. And if we did that as a plenary session, it it really wouldn't work at all. It just it would be too specific. Um, so that that sort of in between mix, I think is I think it's important for a conference for the size that we want it to be. Um, you know, so, Evan, you mentioned the Rich Hickey keynote at RailsConf, mm-hmm. and that one was uh, kind of surprising to me because yeah. he um, came to the Ruby community and, and uh, gave a pretty interesting keynote that the first half was really you know pretty straightforward, I think everybody would agree with, but the second half was kind of object-oriented programming is evil, which I thought was kind of an interesting sell against sure. the Ruby community. How, how do you guys pick the keynotes for RailsConf? Um, well, you know, we just, we kind of look around, you know, the RailsConf has a tradition of at least having one of the keynote speakers be someone from out outside the Ruby slash Rails community entirely. Um, so, you know, like previously we've had, say, Frank, and we've had all kinds of different people. Um, and so it, it felt like it would be fun to have Rich talk because he has a different point of view. And so, it you know, it's not it's nice to have someone come in who can contradict everybody else um, just to, almost just to be contradictory um, just so that people can sort of you know I, I love the Ruby community and I love the Rails community but it always runs the, when you have these big conferences you run the risk of having an echo chamber and not really getting perspective on what's going on and so having these outside people come in gives you an improved perspective even if the person is just contrarian to be contrarian you at least you've Break people out of their little their boxes and their little fiefdoms to talk about like maybe this is you know like I disagree with eighty percent of what he said but this little kernel this little twenty percent nugget that I have distilled from his talk is actually really interesting and how do we use that thing um, that's really where we get those why we bring those people in yeah we started we we've actually done two types so there's usually someone who's outside of the not just the Rails community but not a developer so that's like Zay Frank and Gary Vaynerchuk those sorts of people. And then going back to, I guess, 2007 was the first one. We had Avi Bryant come uh, and he talked about small talk and the fact that many of the things we're trying to do now have been done already and maybe even better by small talk. Uh, I actually asked Avi to be as controversial as he wanted to be in that talk. Um, and, And in some of the invited keynotes like that in the past, I have specifically like spoken to the people and and uh, beforehand and talk to them about issues i see in the community specifically around the echo chamber and groupthink kind of problems and have explicitly asked them uh, and rich hickey i was not involved with so i didn't do so but explicitly asked them to get people thinking differently and given them kind of permission to piss everyone off yeah, I must have missed the memo on Rich's talk because I, when he he basically gave that, he he made up the word complex to 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 opposite of simplify your code to complex your code, and then he just took it to its logical conclusion. And that basically, if you look at all the problems with with kind of brain dead OO the the wrong style of OO, um, yeah, he just basically said let's let's move away from here. And yeah, he didn't move towards a pure OO. He moved towards more pure functional. But I don't know. I just. I just wanted to say that I just didn't want to. I just didn't want the podcast to come down universally on demonizing Rich. I, I loved his talk. I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I actually I think, decided I was going to switch to closure during his talk. I mean, I'm, I'm done with Ruby. <laughs> I mean, when you, his talk, I think, and I, I, I spoke with a lot of people. A lot of people sort of echoed what we're talking about here. To me, after the at RailsConf, right afterwards, like, oh, that was a weird talk. Why would we do that? Why, you know? And um, I would kind of help 
help drive the discussion because you know his point was just that um, programmers have a tendency to build castles in the sky because you can and uh, his, his point about simplicity is I think valid no matter what fundamental fundamental uh, piece you use to build software right. just taking away that simplicity part and trying to apply that as a general rubric to everything that you do I think you could just even if that was the only takeaway I would say it was a resounding success yeah I, I agree with that and I thought his simplicity message was very good I thought he had a couple of mistakes in the second part where he basically tried to expand that to say that that you know object-oriented programming kind of runs contrary to simplicity but the way he defined some things wasn't quite accurate. Like he said things like, you know, if you add a simple thing to a simple thing to a simple thing, you're not guaranteed to get a simple thing on the other mm-hmm. side. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's so, true. And I think that um, a, a big part of Rich's talk, having sitting there listening to it, was he is used to giving that talk to job programmers. And I could tell by the words that he used and the way that he would frame arguments and stuff like that. Um, because a lot of the problems that he would lay out are not really, they're OO specific problems to Java. They're like specific problems with effectively static typing because there's a lot of discussion of like his, his whole point about like, oh, you should, you should use a map for everything because a map mm-hmm. is a thing that everybody knows how to use a map. You don't, you're, you're never coupling, a, the map exists everywhere. And so you never couple one class to another by using a map. Um, whereas if you pass in a very specific thing, like a like a person object, well, now that thing has to know exactly what a person object is, and you have to always pass in a very specific person object. Well, Ruby doesn't really have that problem. As long as you duct type the same API, you basically get the same thing. And yeah, all- kind of, but you're you're kind of over decomplecting the problem too, aren't you? <laughs> I love that word. Over decomplecting. <laughs> have you gotten that domain name yet? There's blood running I, out of my nose right now. Just so you know. From that so. Going what's to my register uh, right now. Has so Rich Hickey been on the show yet? He is not. Maybe we should have him on. That would be a good, oh, good discussion. <coughs> Just bring him on and argue about his RailsConf talk with him. <laughs> <laughs> we would do it. We would do how, it. How, I, I can tell you're having a lot of fun in this line of question. <laughs> so what, uh, what current uh, echo chamber issues uh, would you say the community has? Um... Well, I mean, there's. I, I think it does a pretty good job of breaking out. You know, like you would think that. Uh, you know, and full full disclosure, I am not a big Rails person. I mean, my my Ruby career, if you will, has been mostly backend stuff. It has not been extensively um, Ruby or Rails related. Um, so I think that. Uh, but you know, I, I'm sort of dancing around the question while I think about an answer to it. Um, I think that it, it, amazingly that community does a good job and it, it does a good job sometimes in a bad way of breaking down these things. So like people like you'll see blog posts about be about occasionally like active record is the devil. <laughs> well, like, that's a really crappy way to get people thinking about it, but at least it, it's it breaks the the glass on the echo chamber enough that people think like, well, this is silly. Active you know, let's be pragmatic about this. Active record is not the devil, but maybe it's not good for every model that every single thing that we want to do it's probably not the best thing for um so i think i think by and large people are good with that and i think dhh's sort of um combative tone um helps this a lot because he's he is not he's and i don't think anyone would describe him as warm and fluffy but so i think from that perspective that keeps everyone sort of like when he says I think this is wrong. I think how we did it was wrong, or I think this way is wrong. That at least gets people, again, breaks that echo chamber to get people literally thinking about things. So, so uh, I'm going to change the subject here because we're kind of running out of time. But Evan, tell us pie in the sky, steering the reins in the future. Where do you want Ruby Central to go? I want Ruby Central to go. Um, you know, we haven't done as many grants at, in the last few years. I want to get back to doing more grants. Um, I want to get back to the really the business. You know, we've been really great at running RubyConf and Rails. This I think this first RailsConf was the first one that we ran all on our own, and I think it went great. I think there's things we could improve on, so we're going to expand that. 
Um, there's discussion about doing another um, Ruby Central uh, specific conference in Europe. Maybe that means being you know, redoing Ruby uh, RailsConf Europe again. Um, O'Reilly was the one who dropped it last time, so maybe we can make it work this time. Um, you know, and, and I think that building up the things, you know, like I think that one of the more one of the most important things that Ruby Central does right now is run Ruby Gems. I think that if uh, you know the conferences are nice, but I think if Ruby Central decided one day like, hey, we're not going to Ruby Gems anymore, it would be devastating. So there's a lot of things around running Ruby Gems and around getting that up and running and keeping it running and improving it and all that kind of thing that really helps the community. So I want to see, I want to push Ruby Central more towards figuring out how we, how we improve those kinds of core functionality things. I don't think we're, I don't think we've, we've done enough in those areas that we could, should expand to a lot of other things yet. Gotcha. So you could see Ruby Central taking on more infrastructure projects in the future and stuff if it bettered the community. Yeah. I mean like Ruby, Ruby gems is sort of like the, you know, the plumbing, the water, the water service of the Ruby community now you know everybody gets it everybody you know and if you don't have it all of a sudden you realize like oh my god this thing is impossible to use my house when your water gets turned off everything grinds to a screeching halt i think the same would happen with ruby gem so as a as a community service i think that it's great that ruby central runs it because that means that it's got a core focus and it can be run um in a very uh egalic a very open way um rather than relying on a lot of the a lot of you know sort of companies to do it on their own which they can companies can come and go and ruby central can stick around so yeah that, that's great i so i have a suggestion for one of these things it would be okay. great to have a, a and this has been talked about so it's not a brand new idea but it would be great to have a ruby central run uh site for cataloging the regional ruby conferences yeah so that so that people can go and find out what's available throughout the year speakers can find places where their uh you know calls for proposals are open and so, yeah. evan what you're supposed to say now is pdi yeah. So, yeah. so Josh, how do I get you to do that for me? Uh, well, luckily, there's like 5,000 people who listen to this podcast, and maybe one of them will want to step up and get involved. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I am all for those things. You know, like, I think the, the gem cutter importation shows the way that Ruby Central works really well is for is to sort of take something that is really working in the community and give it, a, give it legs, give it teeth on its own so that it can actually grow and do all these things that it probably couldn't do if it was just someone's weekend project. That's a great point. So, 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 so if somebody built a, a nice website for cataloging regional Ruby conferences and all that, um, that you guys would be, you know, once it got to a good point, you guys would be happy to take it on and support it as community infrastructure. I'm sure. Absolutely. Okay. All right. That's a good stopping point. I know Evan's kind of in a rush, so let's go ahead and move to the picks and Evan, why don't you give us your picks first before you take off? Oh my goodness, I I don't I, I don't know what my picks are going to be. Um, so I'm going to do two. I'm going to do one one silly pick, and I'm going to do one pick a uh, real pick. My first silly pick is these Loradine allergy tablets because man, the allergies are really bad. Allergy season started early this year. I feel like. Am yes, I wrong? It did. People with allergies no, it out did. there. You're not wrong. Yeah, okay. it's been rough. It's a great. These things are a lifesaver. 120 tablets from Rite Aid. I suggest it. That's my silly one. That's my the generic of uh, is, Claritin, uh, by the way. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, it's a Claritin generic, basically. Um, so my non-silly one is I I'm. I am ridiculous, and I know, and I, I reflect on my own behavior and realize its ridiculousness. So I have been writing a no, new programming language um, because I'm ridiculous, and uh, my new programming language has been using a awesome gem that I am the committer on, but I didn't write almost any of it, called Ruby LLVM, which lets you write LLVM things in Ruby. And it's awesome because you can do these crazy things like, I want to write, you know, you could, I could easily see someone using this to like make their real, make their web, just like a web stack faster because you can do things like, I want to formulate how this program should work all in like kind of a nice top level language and then you can send it out and it will be compiled into machine code and then you can have it, have it happen really fast. So it's an amazing gem that um, I think if you're, if you're ever in this boat of thinking about like how do I do this? How does the compiler work and that kind of stuff? I highly suggest you check it out. Awesome. Well, we know you need to take off, Evan. Thanks for joining us today and we'll catch you soon. Uh, thank, thank you so for being here. Uh, Josh, your picks? Oh, sure. Okay. 
Okay, so uh, I think both of these are repicks in some way, but uh, I think a while back I mentioned that uh, uh, Nickelodeon was going to be doing a sequel series to Avatar Last Airbender, and, and they did, and it's out now, and I've been watching it, and it's actually really awesome. It's very much the same spirit uh, and the same style as the original Avatar series. Uh, it's called Legend of Korra, K-O-R-R-A. Uh, I've been watching it on on iTunes because that's the easiest way for me to see that content. I don't have uh, I don't have cable or satellite, uh, and it's been great. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. So you know, if you like the original Avatar series, uh, it, uh, this is definitely worth checking out. Um, and then the the other thing is a gem, and I'm I'm sure this has been picked before. I didn't even bother looking at the uh, David Brady pick machine to confirm that. But uh, Simple Form <laughs> has just uh, been really great for me. The, I used to use Formtastic when it came out, and it was a uh, that was pretty groundbreaking when it came out, and I liked it. But over time. I had some problems with how opinionated Formtastic was in the HTML that it generated. And I tried out SimpleForm, and SimpleForm has just been better in every way for me. So I, I don't understand why people still use Formtastic, except maybe they have some time invested in it. But uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of SimpleForm, and it just really made my life a lot easier in the last couple of weeks. The, one of the thing that's real, things that's really great about the SimpleForm 2.0 uh, which came out a couple months ago, is that they have this uh, nice little API for uh, defining what all the HTML that gets emitted when you when you create the different form elements is, and and you can you can basically customize it for a lot of different things. So there's it can work well with uh, with Twitter Bootstrap or with other um, with other CSS frameworks that you're working with. So if you're if you're doing form stuff, check it out. Simple form, and that's my picks for today. All right, David, you want to go next? Sure. So uh, I just came off a week and a half of vacation and absolutely freaking loved it. And um, I guess to sum up my pick, go outside and play. Um, and I have I have a sunburn right now from the actual sun, and uh, it's Wait, it's so we're weird. Need a definition. Yeah, exactly. This is exactly what I'm talking about. I, I basically, it's that thing you read about that causes skin cancer. Um, and uh, anyway, yeah, I was out in the Daystar for most of uh, last week, and um, this is actually, in my mind, kind of a geek-related pick because um, at Linicon, uh, or not Linicon, Penguicon, there's a there's like an alternate track that they do like the day before or the day after the conference called Geeks with Guns, and what I got into um, last week about about a month ago. Um, a friend of mine came over and he said, you need a gun. You need to buy, um, and it is actually impossible to pronounce this name correctly in any one language, but you, uh, the, the correct pronunciation would be uh, Mosin Nagant. Um, I knew you were going to say, say that one. If you're uh, if you're an American, you say Mosin Nagant, unless you're from the, the like Georgia, Florida area, and then you say Moisin Nagant. Um, but this is a, a Soviet, uh, military surplus, uh, 30 caliber rifle, or excuse me, 7.62 millimeter caliber rifle. And, um, it's, it's illegal to trade firearms with Russia, but when the Ukraine seceded, um, Russia had made 37 million of them and like six or 8 million of them were in the Ukraine and the Ukraine can sell us firearms. And so these are 30 out six rifles, um, or, or thir basically 30 caliber, 30 out six is a 30 caliber rifle that was manufactured in 1906. Um, these are 30 caliber rifles. Um, you hand load them five, five shells into the magazine bolt action. And if you get a modern 30-06 rifle, you're going to pay $2,000 and the ammunition is a dollar to $3 a round. A Mosin Nagant is uh, $99. And the ammunition, if you buy surplus ammo for it, is about 16 cents a round. It's almost as cheap to shoot as a 22. Um, and it's just crazy fun. And people actually use them to hunt deer with. I mean, they, this really is a valid rifle um, for, you know, like if, if you're like brush hunting or deer hunting, that sort of thing. Um, but it's also just a lot of fun to just go shoot. And it's not really, really expensive. And um, I have sunburn on top of sunburn uh, this week uh, from going out and shooting uh, my Mosin and uh, from uh, just that has turned out to be a gateway gun for me because uh, <laughs> I ended up I ended up buying a 12 gauge shotgun um, because while I was in this is a sentence the 